Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, first question. We got a great guest on with us tonight. Tell us about him. Yeah, we got great guests. We got a new guest. And Joey, you and I were talking about how important it was to get new guys on, previewing all these teams that you know we didn't have contributors for last year. And we've done a pretty good job so far grabbing new guys and bringing them on the podcast and having them talk about their team so we got matt trogdon on tonight from streaking the lawn the sb nation site covering the university of virginia matt what's going on man hey guys thanks for having me Uh, i'm excited to be here looking forward to the season starting matt it's great to have you on we really appreciate you joining us hope you're excited to be on the podcast with a uh, a nice virginia tech fan on the other end yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't realize that when you uh, first invited me, I might have uh, changed my mind, but here we are. <laughs> too, late, too late for that. Too late now, and uh, and here you are. So I guess we'll jump right into it, Matt. Uh, first question, how confident are Virginia fans in Kurt Benkert, a quarterback? Um, obviously, last year, kind of a roller coaster ride. You know, Benkert transferred in from East Carolina. Uh, they still had Matt Johns on the roster, obviously, who had started in years prior. And it was kind of a roller coaster with Ben Kurt, you know, up and down year to start, was replaced by Matt Johns, and Ben Kurt, you know, had trouble, you know, falling into the good graces of the Virginia faithful there, it felt like. So how confident are the fans and Ben Kurt heading into this year now, especially with Matt Johns no longer in the fold? Um, you know, it's a good question. I, I, I think regardless of how confident they are, um, he's the guy, and, and they, they need to be hopeful that he can do a good job because without, you know after him, the cupboard is pretty bare. Um, I think Kurt, Kurt got a pretty uh, he got a pretty bum rap for his performance last year. I mean, two and ten, obviously, uh, you're not going to make too many people happy. But statistically, you know he was Virginia's best quarterback in the last decade. Um, I think he had something like 21 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. Uh, I think he broke the school single game passing record against Central Michigan. Um, so there were some games where he looked great, um, and then there were some games where he really struggled. Um, he hurt himself against early in the season against UConn, and was never really the same after that. I think anybody who, who's looking at it without being too overly critical should be pretty confident that he can he can lead this team successfully this season. I, I think that the biggest thing that he might struggle with this year, honestly, is not really him himself, but what he's got to work with around him. So, Matt, as I, I look at this, I mean, this offense, again, it struggled in, in 2016 in a lot of ways. And now going into 2017, you lose Smoke Mizell, Albert Reed, Keon Johnson, several top offensive linemen. So you're losing several of the top players that this team had on it last year. Can you give me a reason for optimism about the offense going into this fall? I think if there's if – there's... If there are two main reasons for optimism, I'll say, number one, Ben Kurt is healthier now than he was last fall. Uh, he's dropped 15 pounds. He dropped the knee brace that he had been wearing last fall uh, as a result of his knee injuries in Carolina. Um, so he's healthier. Um, the reports for, on him coming out of the spring were pretty positive. Um, so I think that there is that his increased mobility uh, and, and increased performance potential should give people a reason to be optimistic. Um, number two, I would say I think the offensive coaching staff has a little bit or actually a much better idea of what they have to work with now. Um, admittedly, 
they um, they kind of undersold some of the assets that they had on the team last year. So Alameda Zacchaeus is probably the most exciting player we have on offense, um, and he didn't really get going until kind of midway through the year last season. Um, and Mendenhall's come out and said that they, um, or at least hinted that they didn't use him to the best of of their ability, and they really underutilized him last year. So I think having another year in the system and having just a better understanding on what each of the players brings to the table, um, I think that's a reason a reason to be optimistic. But you raise a lot of good points. Um, you know, the offense is definitely more suspect than the defense, um, especially when we get started talking about the offensive line, which is really where people need to keep their fingers crossed. So, you know, as you said, offense struggled last year. You know, Mendenhall inherited a mess, and not necessarily from a recruiting standpoint. Um, <laughs> but on the field, I mean, Virginia was a nightmare in the last couple of years of London. Um, but despite all of that, I'm not sure anybody thought, at least from an outside perspective, that Virginia would look as bad as they did last year under Mendenhall. You know, they could have gone 2-10, but I'm not sure anybody thought they would look that bad on the field just given Mendenhall's track record and, you know, how much of a better coach he is, arguably, than, than Mike London. So how does the fan base feel about Mendenhall? Is it kind of a, you know, mixed bag just given given the fact that, you know, he was inheriting a mess and it, it was kind of a nightmare scenario uh, given the roster and, and what he was inheriting? Or um, are they upset that he went 2-10 in his first year and disappointed that they didn't look better right away? Uh, what's the overall feeling about Mendenhall? heading into year two i think the fan base is more disillusioned and apathetic than anything um you know i think folks were pretty beaten down by the end of the mike london era there was a good contingent of fans that thought that uh mike should have been let go at least a year earlier potentially two years earlier um and then we hired bronco uh, you know a, a west of the mississippi guy who, uh, if you did your research on him, there was a lot to like and there was a lot to be um, impressed by. I mean, really, really smart guy, um, a really almost like an academic. Um, you know, he's a guy that, that reads a lot of business books. He's a guy that co-wrote a book about the systems that he put in place at BYU. So, coming out of the um, Outwardly, coming out of what appeared to be a very disorganized operation under Mike London, there was a lot of reason, a lot of good reasons for fans to get behind um, someone like Mendenhall, who um, has a history of bringing much more order uh, to the places where he coaches. So then to go out and lose to Richmond in the opener, um, you know, you blow the game at, at, at UConn, um, and then you go and you get smoked by Virginia Tech at the end of the year, um, I think it, it really, um, it was just sort of another kick in the gut. And, um, you know, I, I think by by early November last year, you know, we were already, we, we as a fan base had already moved on to basketball season. Um, you know, I, I think, I honestly haven't heard much um, you know, from from fans this summer, as far as looking forward to to football season, so I think it's going to take a little while. Um, I don't 
don't think anybody is calling for his head or anything like that, but I think, um, you know, he definitely needs to do a better job this year than they did last year. Matt, you talked about what Bronco established for himself out at BYU. I was looking at this roster last year and and just assuming that he's going to try to basically run this thing the same way. Stylistically, in your opinion or for what you're seeing, is he trying to recreate what he built at BYU? And just in general, like... What's what's the roadmap to victory for this team? Like, what's the goal of, of the the overarching strategy here as you look at this roster and, and this coaching staff and everything? Well, um, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know enough about um, you know what the teams looked like at BYU. Other than uh, I know you know they ran a traditional three or they ran a three four on defense. They had massive defensive linemen um, at all three positions. They had they had good, solid attacking linebackers, um, and so I think they are looking for those um, on the recruiting trail, and they are looking for those on the existing roster. And he has said, um, you know, that he's looking for sort of a dual threat quarterback, um, uh, a Taysom Hill kind of guy. Um, and I think they might have found one uh, for the 2018 recruiting class, so we'll see. Um, I know that they they run a, uh, rather than a traditional kind of halfback and fullback um, position nomenclature, they call it a small back and a big back. Um, and last year they had Taquan Mizell and Albert Reed. Um, Taquan Mizell was much smaller than a traditional BYU small back would have been. Um, this year they've brought in kind of the first prototypical uh, big back that would have fit in the BYU system, uh, a kid out of Florida named Jamari Peacock. So I think he's trying to recreate that. Um, you know, the other thing it, it appears to me is uh, he talks a lot about just needing to almost completely rebuild the roster. Um, and I, I think there's some truth to that, and I think that gets into um, a lot of the problems that we had during the London era. Um, you know, Coach London and his staff were known as good, solid recruiters. They were known as guys that were able to close on, you know, kind of uh, four-star talent, um, even some five-star talent, especially you know in Virginia and Maryland. Um, but I think. London and his staff fell in love with the um, defensive end slash outside linebacker slash athlete hybrid um, on one side, and then they fell in love with the cornerback slash wide receiver slash running back hybrid on the other side. And so we kept, he kept recruiting these guys that didn't naturally fit anywhere. Um, and he, he kind of caught lightning in a bottle once with Max Vallis, um, but after that, you know, really sort of um, none of those players panned out very well. And so Bronco, you know, with his first recruiting class, if you go back and look at it, uh, it's just tremendous balance along the roster. Um, I mean, I think he started to restock almost every position on the roster. He looks like he's trying to do that again this year. And so I think roadmap to success is to continue to recruit in a way that fills all the holes 
and then to grow those players up. Um, I think that's a longer, it's definitely a longer road than Virginia fans were hoping for, um, but I think that's what they have facing. So I guess the one question about Mendenhall, when he came from BYU, you know, all the way across the country to Charlottesville, Virginia, I mean, two polar extremes, is, you know, was the recruiting, was the fact that Mendenhall really had never recruited this area before. So um, you look at Virginia Tech and now the success they're having, because you know, Virginia Tech was truthfully losing a lot of recruits to Virginia. They were losing recruits to Florida State. They were losing yeah. recruits to Miami. I mean, those teams, you know, especially Mike London was at UVA. I mean, they had a lot of guys coming from that Tidewater area that Virginia Tech, you know, had success under Frank Beamer in the past pulling those guys in. And they were having a lot of trouble doing that. And now it seems like, you know, we're back to, okay, Justin Fuente comes in. The, the program is automatically... Uh, reinvigorated and now they're recruiting well not only in Virginia but in North Carolina as a Virginia fan um, what do you think Bronco Mendenhall has to do to win back specifically the state of Virginia and then uh, maybe to build on that do you think that you know Virginia can have some success under Mendenhall recruiting other areas maybe you know the state of Virginia while it's important to you know win your own state and pull in some in-state recruits you know, maybe with a guy like Mendenhall coming across the country from BYU, maybe it's not as important to to recruit Virginia quite right. as well. So, you know, what's your opinion on that as far as, you know, the areas of recruiting for Mendenhall coming across the country from BYU to Virginia and, you know, what he can do moving forward to kind of move this thing back in the right direction? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think in some respects his job of winning, of winning recruiting battles in the state of Virginia – might actually be harder than it is winning recruiting battles outside of the state of Virginia, um, because I think UVA's program, you know, has been down in the dumps for so long that it has, um, you know, it has a stigma attached to it a little bit. Um, I think, uh, you know, and you've seen it, you know, as you mentioned, um, you know, Tech has had, uh, you know, Tech has cleaned UVA's clocks on the recruiting trail this year, um, at least as far as, you know, two or three kids, um, that they were both, they were both going after. Um, you know, I think, uh, so they've had some success so far down in Florida. They've had some success in Georgia. They've had some success in New Jersey. Um, they've had some success in Pennsylvania. Uh, they've had some success sort of in prep schools and in private schools east of the Mississippi. Um, and I think that is, I think that might be the way that Virginia has to go uh, in order to be successful long term. Yes, I do believe that they need to, um, they need to get a, a steady stream of kids in state. Um, but I also think that uh, Virginia, given its academic profile, has a chance to recruit. Um, You know, a lot of the kids on the eastern side of the country that Stanford recruits, a lot of kids, a lot of the same kids that Duke recruits, a lot of the same kids that Vanderbilt recruits and things like that. Um, You know, if they can get some of those kids, um, you know, I know uh, a couple years ago, Jordan Fox was a linebacker from New Jersey, was a kid that they liked a lot that eventually ended up at Stanford. you know, from a, from a, I think from a private school in New Jersey, you know, if they can start getting those types of kids from those types of, um, better academic pedigree high schools, 
um, then I think they might have, then that might give them a chance to, to, to be successful um, in a way that doesn't involve them having to beat Virginia Tech all the time in in-state recruiting battles. So I think that might be their other their other way to go. Matt, let's talk about the defense real quick. So sure. if you if you look at the offense and the defense, uh, it's it's pretty clear which unit is is better prepared to kind of carry the team, and, and it's definitely the defensive side of the ball. You've got some pretty big names at all the different levels of the field. You've got Andrew Brown up front. You've got Micah Kaiser in the middle of the linebackers. And you've got Quinn Blanding in the back patrolling at safety. All really top-notch players, you know, high-quality uh, defenders, even on a national scale. Um, Quinn Blanding's been there forever, it feels like, and he's yep. legitimately one of the better safeties in the country. I, yep. I, I mean, is who should we be keeping an eye on on this defense outside of those guys? And is it fair to expect the defense to carry this team if they're going to go, you know, attempt a, a run at a bowl game or something? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, it's uh, as, as good as some of Virginia's individual defenders have been um, and as good as some of them were last year. Um, you know, Virginia's defense was pretty bad last year. It was they gave up. I think they gave up something like thirty-three points a game. So you're not going to win a lot um, by doing that. Uh, I think the players have talked a decent amount in the preseason about having more uh, familiarity with Bronco Mendenhall's system and sort of knowing, you know, better knowing where they're supposed to be. So that stands to benefit them. I do think the defense will be the stronger unit. I do think the defense will, will carry the team if the team is going to be successful. Um, you mentioned Quinn Blanding and Micah Kaiser. Obviously, uh, you know those guys have a chance to both, to both compete to be All-Americans. Andrew Brown on the defensive line finally looked like the player that we thought he was going to be. Um, so most folks around the program are expecting a big year from him. Uh, on the defensive line, outside of him, it should be interesting. Uh, Steven Moye, who was converted last year from outside linebacker to defensive end, uh, as a true, fr- yeah, as a true freshman, um, he'll probably be at the other defensive end spot. And then Eli Handback, who'll be a sophomore who played defensive end last year, will be uh, converted to nose tackle. And then in the uh, the linebacking core, should be interesting. Um, Jordan Mack, who was a breakout star last year outside linebacker as a freshman, has been moved inside. Um, and then Malcolm Cook, who uh, was a four-star recruit out of high school, um, who had to sit out last year with a rare heart condition, um, is back. Um, and folks are expecting big things from him. Um an outside linebacker, and then I, I would think that the secondary is probably the strongest unit on the team. So Quinn Blanding, um, Bryce Hall, who was a true freshman last year, uh, who was a revelation at corner, um, and then Tim Harris, who was a four-star recruit in 2013, um, who missed last season with a shoulder injury. Um, he's back, and if, if they all stay healthy, then that should be that should be the strength of the defense right there. Um, so you know my. The guys that I, the, the guys and ladies that I blog with over at Street and Milan, um, we've been talking about breakout players, um, and there's been a lot of talk about Malcolm Cook and a lot of talk about Andrew Brown. Um, 
those are the two that I think folks are, are most interested to see. So let's take a look at the schedule a little bit, Matt. Um, because sure. you look at this schedule right here and, you know, we talk about the defense, um, you know, kind of carrying the team. Wasn't a great unit last year, but was decent enough. Um, right. Or, yeah. you know, has the potential anyway. A lot of young guys being mixed in and, you know, I think they could be much better this year. Um, the schedule, honestly, yep. uh, is pretty manageable, especially out of conference. I'd say, you know, when looking Absolutely. at Virginia's schedules, um, I've been impressed with the non-conference teams that they have scheduled over the last few years. Um, you know, obviously yeah. they drew Notre Dame a couple of years ago. Um, obviously the Oregon series was, you know, while it wasn't competitive on the field, I mean, the fact you're going out and playing <laughs> Oregon the first or second game of the year, I mean, not a lot of teams are going out and doing that. Um, even for a team like Virginia, who has struggled on the field to, to be scheduling those types of non-conference opponents, I mean, that's the one thing you can laud them for. Um, and I think looking at this schedule, it's a little bit more manageable. you got William & Mary in the opener. Now, of course, nobody's going to take an FCS yep. opponent lightly given what happened with the Richmond game last year. But, you know, right. you have William & Mary. you got Indiana who, you know, a Big Ten team that's been competitive against some good, uh, you know, really good teams. I mean, you, you, they've been competitive against yep. Ohio State, been competitive against a team like Wisconsin. I mean, this is an Indiana team that, you know, despite – not having the best record in the world the last few years has been competitive against good teams. Um, obviously, you guys play UConn a good bit. Uh, you got Boise State on the road, which I think is a really intriguing matchup, especially this year. Um, and then you got the you know the typical you know in conference opponents. You guys do draw Louisville, which I think if there's one Atlantic team here, you're going to end up drawing. I guess you're glad it's not Clemson or Florida State, um, but you do still yeah. get Louisville. It is on the road in November, so that'll be a tough game, but. You know, top to bottom, um, what are you looking at in terms of, like, a win-loss? You know, what are some things you're interested in seeing um, top to bottom here with this schedule and how it's laid out for Virginia heading into the year? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, going back to last year real quick, the one thing I, I keep coming back to is, uh, yes, Virginia finished 2-10. and 10. Um, Virginia had fourth-quarter leads in five of their 12 games last year and just couldn't figure out a way to, to pull them out. And I think I think I saw a stat, and I could be wrong on this, so you, can, you want to double-check me, but I think half of Kurt Ben Kurt's interceptions came in the fourth quarter of games that Virginia was winning last season. So, um, yeah, they were 2-10, and 10, but, you know, they are a few bounces away from being a little bit, from being better. Um, so, I don't know, we'll see. I, you know, William & Mary... It, Okay, let me. I'll take a step back. Virginia's problem over the last few years, maybe the last decade, really, has been that they just haven't won the games that they should win. Okay, I'm not even talking about the games that they could win, or the games where you know there's there's a potential upset possibility. Like Virginia has just had trouble taking care of business, and so for the program to take a step forward, that's the first thing that it needs to. They need to figure out how to do win the win the games that they should. Um, so I'm looking at William and Mary, uh, UConn, and Boston College at home, um, and I'm I'm circling those as the games that they should win. Um, and then the next kind of tier after that, I think, is uh, the Indiana game at home and the Duke game at home. Um, and, you know, those are games that, that Virginia definitely should be competitive in. 
They've beaten Duke two years in a row, um, so they're certainly not going to be afraid of them. Um, you know, I think Virginia, if everything breaks right, they can win all five of those games. Um, and then obviously if you do that, um, you know, you have a chance at a sixth, probably either on the road in Chapel Hill um, or home against Georgia Tech. Um, you know, and if they somehow get that sixth, then, then you know, I think the fan, the fan base is as happy as it can be. Um, my, you know, every year I get burned by saying Virginia's going to somehow win six games. Every year they kind of make me look foolish. So uh, this year I'm going to say I think they're going to win four. I think they could somehow get five or six. Um, the only games you know on that schedule that really seem impossible to me, um, you know, I don't think they're going to beat Boise State. I don't think they're going to beat Miami. Um, I don't think they're going to beat Louisville, um, even though they almost beat them last year. And I really have a hard time seeing them beat Virginia Tech um, until – until they do it finally, um, so yeah, I think they, I think they'll end up winning four. Uh, I think they could surprise and win five or six. Um, I would be really surprised if if it was less than four. Um, so we'll see. So is four and eight the official projection? Yeah, I'll go with four and eight. I think I'm going to go there too. I, I look at the schedule and I think. The, the Indiana game is interesting. That's a bit of a rebuild going on there. As you mentioned, William & Mary, Connecticut, and Duke. Sure. Really, like those are your, your good shots at wins. Maybe Boston College at home as well. I, and I think if you read Bill Connolly's preview of, of Virginia, yep. I thought he made a good point that if you start getting a little bit of momentum and confidence going early, maybe it enables a, a later upset of some sort. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not sold on, on Mendenhall coaching you know at virginia on this side sure. of the country yeah. in this division against all the guys he's got to coach against i'm not sold on that enough to to sit there and predict that this team will take some major leap from last year i'm gonna go four and eight maybe that's i feel like i'm being too maybe even a little too optimistic about that but sure four and eight mike what'd you say yeah so i i didn't say and <laughs> i didn't say anything i i previewed the whole schedule and then don't don't give my prediction, so that's not any good. Um, Typical. Yeah, I know. So let, let's try this again. Um, I do think they beat William & Mary. I do think they beat Connecticut because they should have beaten them last year. Um, I, I think Indiana is one of those games that if Virginia is looking to win four or five games or maybe a sixth, they got to beat Indiana. I mean, I think we all acknowledge that. Um, Boise State, pretty much a loss, especially on the road on the blue turf at some, you know, God knows what time. Um, and then you have Duke and North Carolina in back-to-back weeks. Yep. I do think that Virginia could beat Duke just based on the last two years. Um, I don't know what to really expect out of Duke. Yep. You know, Daniel Jones, I think he's a fantastic quarterback. But around him, the offensive line has been bad. The running game, everybody was hurt receiving core is suspect and the defense sucks so i'm not really sure what to expect out of duke i think virginia has a great chance to win that game especially yep. at home and they've done it the last couple of years if you're getting if you're going to go on the road at north carolina this is the year to do it i think brandon harris is going to end up being the starting quarterback there not a single defense in college football should be afraid of brandon harris if he ends up being the starting quarterback in north carolina North Carolina's offense has been much better the last few years than it will be this year, in my opinion. We'll kind of see how it all pans out. If you're Virginia, 
and you want to become bowl eligible, I know it's crazy to think about because they just went two and ten. I think you got to beat both Duke and North Carolina, and then home against Boston College, you feel pretty good about that matchup. But you know, other than that, I mean, I think the last four games you definitely lose unless there's a major upset. I mean, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Miami, and Virginia Tech, in my opinion, are all losses. Boise State is the other one. I think they probably lose. And then I think at Pittsburgh's interesting because we don't really know anything about Pittsburgh, right? So they bring in Max Brown, a quarterback. Offensive line, they are returning some starters there, but yeah, a little bit of turnover there. You're losing James Conner. You're losing Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, who Joey and I have talked about this, um, Matt, on multiple podcasts. We think that's one of the biggest losses in the ACC, like over quarterbacks and running backs. I mean, I think Matt Canada, and I think Joey will agree here, we've talked about this. I don't think there's – you'd be hard-pressed to find a bigger loss outside of maybe Deshaun Watson in the ACC than losing a guy like Matt Canada. And Matt Canada, I mean, as an offensive coordinator there for Pittsburgh, they, they were really gimmicky last year. They made the most out of what they had, and that's why Matt Canada was so great there. So now you lose him. You lose your starting quarterback and really? running back. Uh, okay. What do you really have left outside of Caudry Henderson? Um, so – on the road to Pittsburgh, always tough. It's a weird place to play at Heinz Field, but I think Virginia can potentially win that game too. Those are games they could potentially win. I'm going to stay in the same boat as you guys. I think four and eight, I think five and seven could happen. I don't really see six and six. I think everything needs to fall right. And uh, Matt, I agree with you. Like it has to be an upset down the stretch um, to, to get to that sixth win. So I think Virginia has a pretty good start out of the gate, and then I think you know by the time you get to late no, you know early to late November, I think that's where the wheels kind of fall off just because of the schedule they'll end up playing. So yeah, you know the early part of the season is going to dictate a lot for this team, but I think ultimately the four and eight, five and seven range, and I'll just I'll go with four and eight and stick with you guys. Anyway, go with the crowd. By the way, can I follow up on something real quick? Of course, Matt. You mentioned the stat about Kurt Benkert interceptions. He threw 11 interceptions last year. Eight of them were in the second half, and six of them were in the fourth quarter. So I don't I don't have splits for when they were winning, but um, actually I do. Five of them while, they're, while winning by one to seven yep. points, another one by winning eight to 14 points. Yep. So kind of all adds up there. I think you're pretty much spot on with that. Yeah, I mean, it's – it's hard to win games when you're throwing interceptions in the fourth quarter, right? So, um, <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, they had Louisville on the ropes, right? And and he threw one and kind of let him back in. They had Wake Forest. They just came come back and take, taking the lead against Wake Forest on the road. Um, and he, he threw one, a terrible one, kind of in, you know, in their own territory, you know, and Wake scored two plays later to go back ahead. Um, and he had one you know, against UConn to let them back in it. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, when, when, you're, when your margin for error is that thin, you, you can't do stuff like that. Um, so if they have any hope of turning it around this year, um, you know, they've got to cut out. they got to cut that stuff out. Um, it's interesting, you know, when I, as a Virginia fan, to think about down the road, um, you know, you – if you know if this year ends up being four and eight, yes, that'll be an improvement. But you have to wonder when the next step would come after that. Um, next year, twenty nineteen, the schedule is is softer again. Uh, but then you're replacing your starting quarterback and you're probably your three best defenders. Um, and then twenty twenty, 
Um, I think we play we play Georgia in the Georgia Dome or whatever that stadium is now uh, to start the season, and I think Notre Dame rolls onto the schedule, um, and and maybe maybe Florida State too. I don't remember, but um, so it's kind of like if they don't do it this year um, or don't do it next year, it's going to be a while, um, you know, until they can kind of take consecutive steps forward. So. Uh, fingers crossed. So I got I got one more quick follow up for you, Matt. When do you think Go for uh, it. you know you have you have the pulse of fan base? Kind of follow on to a question earlier with Mendenhall. I mean, so say yeah. they go four and eight this year, but they look better and play better. Um, you know, the fan base probably feels a little bit better about Mendenhall. But then, say they go four and eight like the following year. So then, where <laughs> where do you think it's at? at this point i mean he did inherit a mess i mean how long is the leash do you think and mendenhall's coming across the country i mean it's an entirely different yeah. scenario i mean what what's your gut feeling on how long of a leash he has there at virginia well i virginia's uh virginia traditionally is very slow to pull the trigger on getting rid of coaches um so i think he's going to get at least his four years um, you know, he'll get a, a, at least a chance to, to have a full recruiting cycle, um, or, you know, full, 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 excuse me, crop of players kind of go through. Um, so I think he gets at least four. Um, they did just announce a couple months ago, or maybe it was early July, um, their intentions to build a new football center, um, you know, for, for weight training and locker rooms and football offices and stuff. Um, and they haven't started the public fundraising for that yet, but um, that's going to be a big boost to the program if and when it happens. Um, so hopefully he's he's around here for that. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's uh, – I forget what the stat is. You know, I think it's five losing seasons in a row now and eight out of the last nine. Um, so you just kind of wonder, like – just kind of wonder if they keep having losing seasons if that turns into more and more frustration or more and more apathy um i i don't know what the answer is there um but i think he'll get his four years i'm still pretty confident that that he can turn the program around um and at least get it back to being respectable um but you know he definitely needs to show everybody more this year than he did last year um, because i think I think at the end of last season, especially with how the Virginia Tech game went down, um, you had a lot of people wondering, you know, what the heck they were doing bringing this guy in. So we'll see what happens. I have to think that I am nowhere near unique in being very curious to see where this all ends up with Bronco Mendenhall. It seemed at the time it seemed like kind of a, a unusual, unexpected hire, and time's going to tell. Just going to have to tell on whether he's uh, successful in this role as he was at BYU for so long. Uh, but again, it is a very different job in a different location and a different situation altogether. So, uh, going to be curious to see. But Matt, this has been awesome. You've given us so many insights on this uh, on this show tonight. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us where they can find you. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Um, so I am at uh, I'm part of the Streaking the Lawn team, I'm part of the SB Nation network. Uh, we are streakingthelawn.com. And then my personal Twitter is uh, Matt underscore Trogden. And then we just changed our Street in the Lawn Twitter 
here. So let me pull that up real quick. Um, I believe it's STL underscore UVA. Um, yeah, S at STL underscore UVA. That's the streak in the law on Twitter. Um, so yeah, you can find us there. We're also on Facebook and I think and we're on Instagram as well. So um, come and see us. We'd love to have all the followers and readers we can have. All right. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you coming on. Come on back soon. You're welcome anytime. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Hey, thanks, guys. That's Matt Trogdon, at Matt Trogdon on Twitter from uh, Streaking the Lawn, at STL underscore UVA. Go find him. Uh, Matt, we got to get uh, – Matt, we got to get out of here. Mike, we got to get out of here too. Um, we, we're going to come back and record some of these here in the next few days, a few weeks, as we continue previewing the ACC. But until then, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRSJoey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can also send us an email to the longest email address known to man with questions, comments, and concerns. That email address is basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. I think you got the hang of the email now. I think we're, we're, finally, we're finally there. We nailed it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm in the groove, and that's, yeah, it's, it's like muscle memory at this point. That's, so right, that's good. That's right. We're good. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, and theoretically on Spotify, but probably not. Don't be disappointed if we're not there. So don't look too hard. Uh, Mike, where else can they find us on the social medias? Yeah, they can find us now on Facebook as well, uh, facebook.com slash basketballconference. I always say this, Joey, at the end of the podcast, rate us, review us, listen to our podcast. Please let us know how we're doing. Uh, that's all we want. That's really all we want. We want you guys to listen to the podcast and let us know how we're doing, you know, how we're doing with our guests, awesome guests like Matt, continue to come on, uh, hopefully moving down the line. And uh, we'd like to know if there are any questions you guys want asked or anything you guys want answered here moving forward. So, uh, yeah, definitely check out the Facebook site and see what we got going there. Also, please uh, share us with your friends if you got them. Uh, I'm sure you do, though. So please share us with your friends that might want to listen as well. Uh, Mike, you want to come back and do this again soon? Yep, absolutely. All right, sounds good. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Matt Trogdon, uh, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys for listening. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.